Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your faith and make disciples in the everyday places of life. I'm Andrew Stroud. Jesus warned his followers that false prophets would appear after he left. He said they would be hard to spot, but close at hand, wolves in sheep's clothing. The Apostle Paul also warned the early church against false teachers. He described them as savage wolves who would infiltrate the church, distort the truth, and draw away disciples. 2,000 years have passed since those first warnings, but the problem of false teachers is still with us today. What makes a cult a cult? Why are they dangerous, and how can you spot them? Those are the questions we tackle on today's episode. Now, this is the first in a two-part series. While this talk is focused on the more classic cults, part two will address a new form of false teachers who promote ideas that have come to be known as progressive Christianity. I hope this series will help you stay true to the gospel and contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Tonight, we're going to talk about cults. C-U-L-T-S. Cults. And specifically, we're going to talk about what a cult is, what makes a cult a cult. We're also going to talk about why they are dangerous. And then I'm going to give you five marks of a cult. Five things that will quickly tip you off that a group claiming to be a church is actually a cult or that someone you are speaking with is part of a cult. But before we jump in, let me simply list several cults that are active here in San Diego. First, the Latter-day Saints, uh, oftentimes referred to as Mormons. Also, Jehovah's Witnesses, another cult that's active here in San Diego. And then a third group, which is smaller worldwide, but very active here in San Diego and even among the Navy, is the World Mission Society Church of God. Oftentimes, they'll just describe themselves as Church of God. Now, chances are you've already come in contact with someone who is a member of one of these groups. And if not, you will soon. And if you're actively making disciples, the people that you're trying to help in their faith are going to bump into people who are involved in cults. Now, our goal tonight is not to go into the nuts and bolts of what each of these groups believe, their teaching, their practices, their histories, The five marks that I'm going to share with you will appear in each of these groups and actually in every cult because they are hardwired into deviance. In other words, they are part of the fatal flaws that cause a group to become a cult in the first place. So what is a cult? A cult is a new religious group that comes into existence by corrupting the beliefs and the teachings of an older established group. They are not original. They are knockoffs of the original. And just as they build their doctrine by corrupting the teachings of the established group, they also grow their numbers by corrupting the members of that established group. So they do this by targeting those who are on the fringe. 
they rarely grow their numbers by converting unbelievers. Instead, they target those who are nominally affiliated with orthodoxy and who don't know why they believe what they believe. In short, they prey on the uncommitted and the ignorant. So cults are parasites. They exist by feeding off a larger host. Now what does the Bible say? Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I just want to highlight a few phrases there. Jesus said that these false prophets would come to us. He's talking to his disciples, and he puts them on alert that there are going to be false prophets who come to you, to the disciples. But they do so in sheep's clothing. They, they do so disguised as members of the group, as fellow disciples. However, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Paul also warned warned the leaders of the church in Ephesus, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will come in among you, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That's Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. And again, just to highlight a few key phrases, he tells these leaders of the church there in Ephesus to be on guard. And and what are they on guard against? He describes savage wolves that will come in among you. And why are they there? To draw away disciples after them. So again, the the presence of these enemies is within. These savage wolves are going to come in among you. And then he says, from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, said this, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. And again, multiple times, John repeats this phrase, that they went out from us. There was a time when they were among us. We thought that they were of us. But they went out making it clear that they weren't really ever part of our group. So the leaders of the early church and Jesus himself warned us that there would be false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, who infiltrate among us with the express purpose of drawing away disciples after themselves. This is what the cults are, and this is what they do. 
They are wolves in sheep's clothing, presenting themselves as true Christians, presenting themselves as the true church. They actively prey on people who are on the fringes, the uncommitted and the ignorant. Predators love to target the immature, the isolated, and the infirm. And this is exactly what the cults do. They target the immature, the isolated, and the infirm, those who are weak or sick in their faith. So, how do you recognize a cult? Tonight, I'm going to share with you five marks, five things that will tip you off that a group claiming to be a church is actually a cult. So, number one, the claim of new revelation. Now, often, this is easy to spot, as in the case of the Book of Mormon where you have an entire book of scripture which didn't exist 200 years ago. Think of it. The Christian faith has been around for 2,000 years. The Book of Mormon, less than 200. How can this be? New revelation. So the claim is that God gave new revelation to Joseph Smith, the man who started Mormonism. But new revelation does not necessarily mean new scripture. Sometimes it means a radical new interpretation of the scripture we already have. And this is the case with the Church of God, who teach that there is both God the Father and God the Mother. Now how can this be? It's because they claim that Jesus returned as a Korean man named An San Hong, who lived from 1918 to 1985. And on, since he was Jesus, was qualified to give true believers these new insights into God the Mother. So the first mark of a cult is this, the claim of new revelation. A second mark of a cult is the accusation of Apostasy. The Mormons have been around for less than 200 years. The Jehovah's Witnesses have been around for less than 150 years. The World Mission Society Church of God has been around for less than 75 years. The cults are Johnny-come-latelys who desperately want to be regarded as legitimate as true Christians, and as the true church. But they've got a problem, and they know it. Their teachings are radically divergent from historical Christianity. So, they use the strategy, the best defense is a good offense. They turn the tables and accuse historical Christianity as being apostate. Every cult does this. Now, some of you may not be familiar with the word apostate or maybe even apostasy. My wife thought it was was too religious of a word. But it's in the Bible, and I couldn't really come up with a better word. But let me try to explain it. The claim goes something like this. Jesus founded a pure church. 
but soon afterwards it became corrupt, and the true faith was lost. And that is why the new cult has been sent by God to restore the true church. And that's why they look so different, because mainstream Christianity is actually apostate. It has fallen away from what the original church was meant to be, and the cult presents itself as the restoration of the true church. When you hear this kind of talk, you know that you are dealing with a cult. This is the second mark of a cult, the accusation of apostasy against historical Christianity. Now, these first two marks will always show up because a cult has to justify its deviance. Remember, with a cult, we're not talking about a whole new system of belief, but the corruption of an established system, the departure from orthodoxy, and that deviance has to be justified if it is going to be viewed as legitimate. And so, how do you justify it? You claim new revelation that sheds new insight, and you condemn all the historical church as being a deformation of what Jesus originally intended, the accusation of apostasy. Now, the third mark of a cult is the claim of exclusivity. And this is a natural outflow of the first two marks that we've already seen. In historical Orthodox Christianity, there is room for diversity and authenticity in the church among different groups of followers of Jesus Christ, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Catholic, Presbyterian. However, a cult will insist that it is the one true church and that all others are false. It has to do this as a logical progression of the first two marks. After all, if Christianity has become completely lost in apostasy, so much so that this new group has been given special revelation and a mandate to bring about restoration, how can any other group be considered true? They can't. So when you hear someone claim that their church is the only true church, you know you are dealing with a cult. And this is the third mark, the claim of exclusivity. So mark number four, salvation through loyalty to the group. Now, cults are about control. They sell the lie that you can control your own salvation if you allow them to control your life, your beliefs, and your loyalties. Loyalty to the group is held to be the source of salvation rather than faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. To leave the group or even to contradict the leader is impossible, since doing so means that your hope for salvation is lost. Anytime salvation is connected with loyalty to a specific group or to a human leader, you know that you're dealing with a cult. And that is Mark 
Number four, salvation through loyalty to the group. The fifth mark, detracting from Christ. And this is the ultimate sign that you are dealing with a cult. They will always seek to lessen the value of Jesus Christ and make him peripheral. To the Mormons, Jesus is a lesser God, one of many. You too might one day become a God like Jesus and rule your own universe. To the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is the first created being. He is Michael the Archangel, but he is certainly not God Almighty. To the World Mission Society Church of God, Jesus is a Korean man named An who died in 1985. True Christians have always elevated Jesus to the highest place of honor and made him the central focus of our faith and devotion. We agree with the writer of Hebrews that in these last days God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature, and that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. We agree with Paul when he wrote that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that by Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, that Jesus is before all things, and that in him all things hold together, and that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that Jesus himself will come to have first place in everything, because it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through Jesus, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. All Paul's words in Colossians chapter 1. A cult will always seek to detract from Christ and make him secondary. This is the fifth and the ultimate mark of a cult, the lessening of Jesus. And every cult will do it. So you can really cut to the chase and ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? Very quickly you'll know whether this group is a true church or a cult. So what do true Christians believe? First, we believe that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. The full and the final revelation of God. After all, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. Why would there be a need for any new revelation? There is no need for new revelation. 
God has already fully revealed himself and his plan in the person of Jesus Christ. So we reject any idea of new revelation after Jesus. Second, we believe in a God who is powerful enough to keep his church pure throughout the ages. Now, this does not mean that the church does not have blemishes, both now and in the past. But the notion of a lost church and of a universal apostasy where all of God's people turned away from him, the idea that God needs to restart the true church, as these cults claim, reveals that they believe in a weak and ineffectual God, not a God that true Christians believe in. God does not lose his church down through the ages. Third, we believe that God is working all around the world through a diversity of churches that are made up of true followers of his son Jesus, that no group has a corner on the truth and the right to demand exclusive loyalty. Our loyalty is to Jesus and to each other as his people. You need to know why you believe what you believe. Cults prey on people who are on the fringe of the church, the uncommitted and the ignorant. Predators love to target the immature, the isolated, and the infirm. So don't be immature, isolated, or infirm in your faith. Instead, be a disciple. Commit yourself to grow in your faith. Commit to deep relationships with the believers that God has put in your life. Commit to a life of confession and obedience. Refuse to live a life where you give yourself permission to keep secret sins. And finally, make disciples. Be one of those who can be entrusted with guarding others against the fierce wolves that are out there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we offer this prayer, our confidence is that you are fully alive, that you are fully alert to what's going on in our lives, what's going on here in San Diego, what's going on among the Navy, what's going on all around the world. You are alive, you are alert, you are active. Lord, we can pray to you and believe you that you aren't distant, you aren't removed from the action of what is happening here on the earth, which are very much involved in our lives and in the world around us. And then finally, Lord Jesus, we believe that you are all-powerful, just as you told your disciples that all authority had been given to you in heaven and on earth. Lord, having said that, you told us, uh, the early church leaders told us that there would be these false prophets, these wolves in sheep's clothing, that would come in among us and would seek to devour the flock, that would seek to draw away disciples after themselves. And Lord, we know that it's true today. So I pray twofold prayer. First, that you would help us to be on alert, just as you told those first disciples to be on guard. 
that we would be committed, that we would know why we believe what we believe, that we would take this journey of faith serious, Lord, for our own sake and for the sake of others around us who don't know the truth, who don't know um, the difference between a true church and a cult. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we grow to maturity to have a, a love and a concern for those around us, that we would speak the truth and that we would guide those who are on the fringes into a closer knowledge of you. Uh, Lord, in many cases, these people are not Christians, even though they've been around the church or they've been exposed to some of the teaching about you, where they don't really know who you are and they become easy prey uh, to someone who talks a good game and seems to know what they're uh, talking about. So Lord, help us to be serious about our faith serious about making disciples of others. Great things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can help us reach more people by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a review. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about us. In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message. 